Our world is constantly bombarded by words. Recent research suggests the average human speaks about 7,000 words a day. If you figure there are over 7 billion people in the world, then humans speak something like 50 trillion words a day. Although it's likely it's even more. Uh, With technology enabling everyone to have a podcast, a YouTube channel, Facebook Live, TikTok, who knows what other apps allow people to, to have a voice to speak out into the world to to broadcast their words out and about. Despite all the words spoken in our world every day, many never seem to hear God speak. And yet God does speak. God is the one who invented speech. And so God has no problem speaking. He is always speaking. Job tells us the problem is never God not speaking as God speaks in many ways. The problem, says Job, is we just don't hear it. We just don't notice it. God speaks through creation, which declares his glory, testifies to his handiwork as creator and proclaims his invisible attributes to the world. God speaks through his Holy Spirit, who leads us to fight our flesh and live as devoted disciples of Jesus. God speaks through Jesus, who leads us as a shepherd, leads his sheep. And God speaks through his prophets who reveal to us what God has said and what God is saying. God has spoken and God is speaking. This is not a question. The question is, are we listening? What is God saying as he speaks? Open your Bible to Isaiah 1, page 517, if you've got a pew Bible. And when you find that, I want us to stand to honor the reading of God's word. I'm going to read the first 20 verses. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, heavens, and hear, earth, for the Lord has spoken. Sons I have raised and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey his master's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. O sinful nation, people weighed down with guilt, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The entire head is sick. The entire heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is nothing healthy in it. Only bruises, slashes, and raw wounds. Not pressed out, nor bandaged, nor softened with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. As for your fields, strangers are devouring them in front of you. It is desolation is overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter and a vineyard. Like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field. Like a city under watch. The Lord of armies has left us a few survivors. Had the Lord of armies not left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom and we would be like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? 
I've had enough of your burnt offerings and rams, the fat of fattened cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires this of you to trample my courts? Do not go on bringing in your worthless offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the proclamation of the assembly. I cannot endure wrongdoing in the festive assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm tired of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you offer many prayers, I will not be listening. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Obtain justice for the orphan. Plead for the widow's case. Come now. Let us debate your case, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall become white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The title of the message this morning is, the God, or this evening, the God who speaks. Our Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you. Father, you are a God who speaks. You have not created the world and set it in motion and left us alone on what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to be, or what our lives are supposed to be like. You have spoken and you are speaking. We pray today as we look at what you said to Isaiah, that we would hear you in this moment, that we would have ears to hear what you're saying to us today. We echo the words, the prayer of Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Oh, God, let this word weigh on our hearts with the weight it ought to have. These are not common words or ordinary words. These are the words of our God, the sovereign ruler over all. There's a weight they ought to have, and I pray they would have that weight upon us. Work in our hearts and make us to be a people. Who are contrite in spirit, a people who tremble at your words when our lives are not in sync with them. Father, give me, let your spirit be upon me to anoint me tonight that I would have clarity of thought, clarity of speech, and I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. Let me say what you once said, nothing more, nothing less. Have your way in all of our hearts and all of our lives. Use this time to purify us, to convict us, to challenge us, to Encourage us to equip us to make us more of who you want us to be. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as with most of the prophets, Isaiah prophesied during a time of rebellion against God. The nation of Judah has become unfaithful, so God calls and speaks through a prophet named Isaiah. As we see in verse 1, Isaiah was there for a very long time. He prophesied through the reigns of four kings for about 50 years in all. Um, It seems only the prophet Daniel served longer than Isaiah did. I was praying in Isaiah 1 yesterday to kind of prepare for yesterday morning to prepare for the study in Isaiah. and, And my mind focused on, for the Lord has spoken there in verse 2. I was struck on it and I meditated on it for a little bit and I prayed about it for a while. If you think about it, I mean, that's a significant phrase. It's an important phrase. 
It's a weighty phrase. It's a phrase that gives a weight to these words. I mean, there is a weight what we're looking at ought to have on our lives because God has spoken. God has spoken and Isaiah has recorded God's words for us. All we're looking at here are the very words of God himself. What the book says, God says. These aren't old words or dead words. These are living words. These are powerful words. These are authoritative words. These are active words. These are these words are all these things and more because they are God's words. These words are empowered by his spirit and these words give life through the spirit. So our, our main thought we want to think about tonight with this is God is speaking. Are we listening? God is speaking. That's not in question. The question, are we listening? Now, in the 20 verses I read, God is speaking about three things. God is speaking about sin. God is speaking about hypocrisy. And God is speaking about salvation. There is not time to cover all three. We will cover one tonight uh, and probably one next week as well, given the, the length of my outline. God is speaking about sin. Now, something I noticed as I looked at these verses and was studying is God is not specific about the sins the people are committing. For instance, God does not rebuke them for idolatry in these passages. God does not rebuke them for adultery or, or any of the other sins we know from other passages in Isaiah they were guilty of at this particular time. Rather, what God does in, in the section we're looking at is he describes what sin is and what sin does to those who live in it. In this passage, God isn't speaking about specific sin, but sin in general. And as God speaks, he says a lot about sin. So what is God saying about sin? Well, God says sin is rebellion against him. The last of verse 2, after for the Lord has spoken... Sons I have raised and brought up, but they have revolted against me. God describes the people of Judah as children he has raised and cared for, but who revolted against him. Now, one of the more common descriptions of God's relationship with his people is that of a father and a child. God is a father who reached out to choose and take orphans. And adopt them as his children. For Israel this began when God reached out and chose Abraham and his descendants after him. God chose Abraham. God made Abraham a mighty nation. And God adopted them as his own. But God not only chose them and adopted them. He, he raised them and he brought them up. This, this refers to the care and the provision he gave to them in their Lives, And in the context, it also speaks and cares with the, the connotation of elevation. God had not only cared for Israel 
and had provided for Israel. He had elevated Israel due to his special relationship with them. They were unique among all the peoples of the earth because they had a God so near and a God who spoke in such ways. How did they respond to God's choosing and God's provision and God's elevating of them? They rebelled against him. My Bible says they revolted against him. So it was a solid rebellion against him. This wasn't or they had rebelled against God. They had rebelled against his word. They had rebelled against the covenant they had made with God. They had broken God's commandments. They had lived in immorality. They had lived as though there were no law for them to follow. But again, the word revolted, rebelled, doesn't picture a gradual drift. This isn't they let something go here and something go there. And months and years down the road, they were further away than they thought. Rather, what this pictures is them shaking the fist at God. You will not rule over us. We will do what we will. And this was their attitude, despite all God had done for them. The picture is of a child or children who have been loved, cared for, provided for by good, loving parents. Then these children, they grow up and they reject their parents. Not just choose a a different path than their parents might have wanted, but sort of spitefully reject their parents. But not only do they reject their parents, they rebel against them. This despite all their parents have done for them. It imagines them being what we might call an ingrate of all God had done for them. This is what God says sin is like. Sin is rebellion. Sin is saying to God, you will not rule over me. I will do what I want to do. This is not merely some sin. This is not merely, quote unquote, really bad sin. This is all sin. The essence of sin is a heart of rebellion saying to God, I will do What I want to do, regardless of what you have said. This is what God is saying about sin. Our sin, our community's sin, our country's sin, the sin of our loved ones. This is what God is saying about all sin. Are we listening? Secondly, God says sin makes people Ignorant. Look at verse 3. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. God compares people living in rebellion with dumb animals. Donkeys in ancient Israel were proverbial for their ignorance. To say the people of Judah were more ignorant than a donkey was an amazingly strong statement. But it wasn't a statement just made for shock value. And it wasn't a statement just made to be an insult. It was proving a point. The point was, despite how how dumb the animals themselves are, they knew the hand that fed them. They knew who cared for them. They knew who provided for them. I was thinking about in our house. 
We have a dog, my wife's dog, named Abner. And, and Abner, when he's hungry, he goes to people to be fed. But he knows who to go to. He doesn't come to me. Because if it's not, if I'm the only one at the house and it's not feeding time, I'm not going to feed him. He doesn't go to Kelly because if Kelly will just get him a scoop of food and that's all. If my brother-in-law is there, he always goes to him. You know why? Because Jacob pours out extra food. Jacob puts cheese in it and anything extra he might can find. Abner may be a dumb animal, but he knows who gives the best food. He knows who to go to. And that's the picture here. Animals, they know who provides for them. They know who is the one who cares for them. And it's reflected in their lives. But not so, God says, for the people of Judah. As I said, God had provided for them and cared for them in the past. But, and God was still caring for them and providing for them in the present. But their sin had made them ignorant of God's provision and God's protection and God's care for them. They assumed what they had was because of what they had done good. They assumed they were protected because of their strength and their power. They assumed everything good in their lives was because of how wonderful they were. They had so taken their eyes off God and put them on themselves, they could not see anything God had done for them. Why? Because their sin made them ignorant. To carry the picture of the rebellious child, this would be like a child who has been loved, cared for and provided for by his or her parents. The child then grows up and rejects the parents, not just chooses a different path, but but rebels, spitefully rejects their parents. Not only does the child spitefully reject the parents and rebel against them in this rebellion, the child cannot see anything good. The parent has ever done for them. Why? Because their sin has made them ignorant. Every good thing anyone has. And every good thing anyone ever will have is a gift of God's mercy and grace. So says James 1.17. This includes life, breath and all things. So says Acts 17.25. This includes the ability to acquire money and to survive and thrive in this life. So says Deuteronomy 8.18, which says God gives us the power to create wealth. This includes our spouses, Proverbs 18.22, our children, Psalm 127.3, and our physical attributes, Psalm 139.13 and 14. Even the fact we have not been thrown into the fires of judgment for our sin is an act of pure mercy from God. Ephesians 2, 4, 2 Peter 3, 9. There is no good thing we have ever received or ever will receive that is not a gift of mercy and grace from the direct hand of Almighty God. So then why is every human on the planet not living their lives in worship and praise of the great God who has done such wonderful things for them. It is because their sin has made them ignorant. Their sin has focused their eyes so much on them, they cannot see God or anything God has done for them. 
where you find people saying God has never done anything for me. You find people made ignorant through sin. This is what God says about sin. Our sin, sins of our community, the sins of our nation, the sins of our loved ones. God has spoken about sin. God is speaking about sin. Are we listening? God also says sin is heinous. Verse 4. O sinful nation, people weighed down with guilt, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. According to the omniscient Google, heinous means utterly odious or wicked. I could think of no better word to describe what God says about sin in verse 4 than heinous or utterly odious or wicked. So I was praying through Isaiah 1. I spent quite a bit of time praying for people from Psalm 4 or from verse 4 because I realized how few people in our day see sin in this way. How few people in our day take sin this seriously. Just look at what God says about the heinousness of sin. Sinful nation. God says sin is wrong even if everyone is doing it. This wasn't a matter of one or two people in the nation sinning. Everyone had sinned. Everyone had been drawn into it. The people had sinned for so long, the morality of the nation itself had changed. And yet... Sin was still sin. What God called sin was still a sin, even though everyone was doing it. God says sin makes people guilty. People weighed down with guilt. The people were weighed down with their guilt. Now, that's an interesting word picture because it doesn't picture what we might think. This doesn't imagine them lying on the ground, mourning for their sin, pleading with God to forgive them and have mercy and lift it off. No, in fact, it has nothing to do with feelings about their guilt for sin. In fact, the rest of what we see in this passage probably means they felt nothing about their sin. They felt no guilt whatsoever about their sin. Rather than being weighed down because they felt guilty about their sin, they were legitimately guilty. And that guilt weighed them down. It was like a weight around their neck threatening to sink them. It was this weight that they didn't know about. But they were still guilty. It was still there. Their feelings meant nothing. Again, I think about this in, in our culture with what, we've, what we see in the world around us. The morals of our culture have shifted, even in my lifetime. But that doesn't mean God's morality has shifted. 
People don't blush over their sin. People aren't ashamed of their sin any longer. They feel no guilt over what they've done against Almighty God. But that doesn't change the fact. They're still guilty in the courts of heaven. A clean conscience while living in sin does not mean a pure life. It means a seared conscience more than likely. Their guilt is weighing them down about to destroy them. God says sin is evil. O offspring of evildoers. Sin is an act of evil because sin is contrary to God's holy nature. Our culture treats sin as though it were an indulgence. We know we shouldn't take part in, but gosh darn it, it's just so good. We're going to do it anyway. We may regret it tomorrow, but right now we're going to live in the moment and we're going to enjoy it. A mindset makes sin no big deal. But sin is a big deal. Sin daily destroys homes. Sin daily destroys lives by the million. Sin does this because sin, regardless of how the culture treats it, is altogether evil. God says sin leads to abandoning Him. They have abandoned the Lord. They have turned away from Him. Through the prophet Amos, God said two people could not walk, or two could not walk together unless they be agreed. If you and I said we were both going to go for a walk and we were going to walk north, and I began to point that way's north, and you began to point and said that way's north, and we both took off walking north, despite the fact we said we're walking together, despite the fact we both said we're walking north, the reality is we're not walking together. In a similar way, we cannot walk with God while rejecting or disobeying His Word. We cannot walk with God while doing something He has said we should not do. We cannot walk with God while refusing to do what He has said we must do. God has laid a course. And since He is God and we're not, and since His course is right no matter what, He'll not alter His course in one way or another. Rather, if we want to walk with God, we must alter our course to walk with Him. And this is what all people must do. They want to live their truth, but their truth doesn't go in the way of God. God is going in His direction and doing His thing, and those who want to walk with Him must go with God. Alter their course. And if they don't alter their course, then regardless of the words they say about walking with God, they are not. What they do instead is they abandoned God. They turn away from God. And they continue to go in their own direction. Also in verse 4, God says, sin is despising Him. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. God repeatedly says, when we know what He has said to do or not do, and we choose to go our own way, we are despising His Word, or we are showing contempt for His Word. To despise or show contempt for the Word of God is to despise or show contempt for the God of the Word. Again, I think we would know this if we took 
just in our home. We had a guest in our home and we had something in our home and we said, I would rather you didn't touch this. And we tell them, don't touch this. And they touch it all the time despite what we've said. Are they respecting us? Are they honoring us as their as their hosts? Or are they in some way sort of just despising? Oh, that's so stupid you think like that. Isn't that what it is? Of course it is. And when we say, God, I know what you have said, but I'm going to do what I want to do. We're being contemptuous toward God. We're despising Him. These reasons are why we must understand sin is heinous or utterly odious and wicked. This is what God is saying about sin. Our sin, sin in our community, sin in our country, the sin in those we love. God is speaking about sin. Are we listening? God says sin breeds more sin. Look at the first of verse 5. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? God talks to them about continuing in their rebellion. They are going to continue in their rebellion despite the fact they've been warned repeatedly about the evil of their sin. And about the judgment coming because of their sin. They just don't seem to care. They're just going to continue to plunge forward in their sin and in their rebellion. Why? Because sin breeds more sin. Again, I think this is significant because we often, in our day, I've heard they sow their wild oats. They get their fill of it. That's not really what happens. That's not what happens according to God's word. That's not what happens according to God. People who sow their wild oats continue to sow their wild oats. People who go out to get their fill of sin and the world never get their fill of it. Because there's always more. There's always deeper. There's always something else. Sin doesn't fill us up and we say, that's it, I've had enough, I'm done. Sin leads to more sin. The more people sin, the deeper they're pulled into sin. They believe it's freedom because they're they're doing whatever they want to, but rather than freedom, it's leading to bondage, and the bondage just leads to more and more sin, stronger and stronger bondage. Always. This is always what happens. Sin never frees those entrapped by it of its own. It holds them and draws them deeper and deeper and deeper. Once people begin to act on their sinful desires, those actions become ropes binding them, enslaving them, and drawing them deeper and deeper into sin until eventually... Well, that's our next point. But sin leads to more sin. Sin breeds more sin. This, this is what God says about sin. This is what God says about our sin. This is what God says about the sin in our community. This is what God says about the sin in our country. This is what God said about the, says about the sin of those we love. Are we listening to what God is saying? And then God says sin deceives and destroys. This is the end of sin. Draws, it pulls, it leads to more and more and it holds until eventually it's there. The last of verse 5, God says the entire head is sick. The entire heart is faint. 
from the sole of the foot, even to the head, there's nothing healthy in it, the body at all. Only bruises, slashes, raw wounds, not pressed out nor bandaged, not softened with oil. God compares Israel as a person who has been violently assaulted. They've been so thoroughly beaten, no part of their body is not wounded. Not only have they been violently assaulted and their entire body been wounded, but no one has cared for their wounds. If you continue the, if you add the part from verse 5 with these words, it's a picture of someone who is repeatedly being violently assaulted. This same person does the same things with the same results time after time after time. More beatings, more bruises, more damage. Still no one to treat the wounds. Then in case they don't get what he's saying there, God is explicit in verse 7. The land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. As for your fields, strangers are devouring them in front of you. It is desolation as overthrown by strangers. God says, look around, see the results of your sin. The world is burning down around you and it's all because of your sin. Their sin was destroying them personally. Their sin was destroying their nation. Their sin was destroying their families. And yet they were continuing and to do the same things again and again and again. Hoping for different results. This time it'll go different. This time it'll be better. In many ways this pictures them as being unable to see how the destruction around them, how the misery they're facing is a result of their own sin. They couldn't see how their life choices, their sinful life choices were destroying them, their families, their nation and everything they cared about. Sin is always destructive. Sin always destroys lives. Sin always destroys families. Sin always destroys souls. We see this. All around us every single day. But as in Isaiah's day, those who are being destroyed rarely see how their sinful life choices cause the destruction happening around them. They can't see how what they're doing is the cause of what they're suffering. They can't see how the destruction in their family is a result of their actions and their lives. A nation can't see that its choices are the result or the the responsibility or the cause of the destruction and the falling down of the nation around it. Why can't they see it? Because sin deceives as it destroys This is what God is saying about sin, about our sin, about the sins of our community, the sins of our nation and the sins of our loved ones. 
And one final thing God says about sin. God says he is merciful despite sin. Verse 8. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a city under watch. If the Lord of armies had not left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. Why were they not entirely destroyed? Because of their sin? Because God is merciful despite their sin. God's mercy is seen in two ways in this passage. First, there is God's mercy in protecting them. He is keeping the destruction from sin from overcoming them. From being as bad as it possibly could. God could have withdrawn his hand completely. God could have allowed the enemies and the sin to utterly destroy them. But he did not. He would have been just in doing so. But he did not do it. God is merciful. So he held back a measure of the destruction their sin had brought. Second. God called them to return to him and be saved from the destruction their sin would bring. Look at verses 16 through 18. Wash yourselves. Clean your, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Obtain justice for the orphan. Plead for the widow's case. Come now. And let us debate your case, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall become white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. God not only held back the full consequences for their sin, God offered a way out. A way for them to be saved, a way for them to be cleansed, a way for them to... To have their sin and all of that taken away. No matter how deep the stain of their sin was. God could make it as white as snow. If they would turn to him. If they would turn from their sin. If they would come to him. God would do all of these things for them. This is God's mercy towards sinful people. A question people don't often ask, but should, is this. Why haven't I been destroyed by my sinful life choices? Well, they don't ask it because sin deceives people and makes them ignorant. But they should ask it because it could lead them to realize the greatness of God's mercy toward them. For of a truth, it's only because of God's mercy they have not been completely destroyed Because of their sin. Even if there have been terrible consequences in their lives because of their sin. Only the mercy of God. The pure mercy of God has kept them from being completely destroyed by their sin. And not only has God been merciful to hold back the destruction of sin. God has been merciful to call them to turn to him through faith in Jesus. God does not want anyone to be destroyed by their sin. God wants everyone to be saved. He says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and be saved through faith in Jesus. 
And despite the fact the stain of sin is is dark, very dark in cases, God can and God will wash them white as snow if they will come to Him through faith in Jesus. It is only because of the mercy of God people have not been destroyed by their sin. It is only through the mercy of God as seen in Jesus people can be saved from the future judgment of sin. This is what God is saying about sin. Our sin, the sin of our community, the sin of our country, the sin of those we love. Are we listening? Are we listening? Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. Father, help us to have ears to hear what you're saying to us. Our world does not take sin seriously, but we must. Many today who profess to be followers of Jesus do not take sin seriously today, but we must. You have spoken and are speaking about sin. And so let these words, your words, sink deep into our hearts. Let them, one, cause us to take our sin as seriously as we ought to. Let us tremble at our sin. Let us run to Jesus and be forgiven of our sin. And not make excuses for it. But Lord, let us also be burdened as we look at the world around us. As we look at the sin in our community, Lord, let our hearts ache. Let us weep over our city as Jesus wept over Jerusalem. As we look at our nation and see the sin abounding in our nation. Let us weep over our nation as Jeremiah wept over the destruction of Jerusalem. As we look at those we love. The sin they've given themselves to. Let us not justify and make excuses, but let our hearts ache as Paul's did for the people of Israel. Father, burden our hearts about the evil, the heinous nature of sin. And let us then boldly proclaim Jesus as the cure for all sin everywhere, for all people who will repent and believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.